0: Let's turn back to Genesis then. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We've been looking at God's work of creation over the six days that he has brought heaven and earth into existence. It was dark and formless and empty. He has been forming it and filling it by the power of his word. And last week we looked at how he had filled the waters and the heavens and the land with living creatures, uh, what we call animals uh, of many different kinds, all reproducing according to their kinds, to fill this earth with life. But now on that sixth day he comes to uh, one very unique uh, being, one very unique living creature, and that is man, mankind. So let me read for you today uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for both giving us this word and for what it describes, your creation of us. We pray that you would bless us through this word word through this passage of Holy Scripture. We pray also for those who are unable to be with us today, uh, whether they are uh, hindered one way or the other, or ill. Uh, We pray that you would strengthen them in body and soul as well uh, through your word. Uh, We pray that you would uh, build up your people, that we might uh, worship you and praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this work, on the second day, he's already done one thing, creating the living creatures on the land, and he has pronounced that good, or he has seen that it was good. Uh, He had finished that work, and now he does something new. It stands out as you're reading this text. For no other creature has he said, let us make. Uh, This is a different way of speaking. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. First, he uh, says, let's do this, and then he goes ahead and and does it. Uh, This divine deliberation shows uh, great attention to this work that he is about to do. We also, of course, have the reference to us and our, uh, which is very interesting, Uh, especially as he is deliberating with himself, is not merely an I and not merely a singular, as he is one God, but has a certain plurality within him, something that's greatly unfolded as we go along in Scripture, that God is a triune God, one God, one being, undivided, yet three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In fact, we've already seen allusion at least to his spirit in verse 2. Some say perhaps this is God speaking to his heavenly court of angels, but he does also say not only let us make, uh, God is the one who makes, but also in our image, created in the image of God. It says that in verse 27, um, and so the our must be God. Uh, We're not said that we're made in the image of angels. And so that seems to be what he's referring to, uh, to himself. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. That's also something that makes this work unique, right? No other being has uh, been described as made in the image of God after his likeness. Then we also find that God gives man dominion over the work of his hands, the living creatures that he has made, and over the earth uh, that he gives dominion. So we have divine deliberation, the divine image and dominion given to man sets him apart um, from the rest of creation. And in particular today, I want to focus on the divine image, the image of God. What does it mean that man is made in God's image, that God created man in his own image? I want to speak of how mankind is the image of God, how mankind represents God, how mankind Uh, resembles God, and how sin has affected the image of God, how it is in need of restoration. So first, though, the basic point, that mankind is the image of God. God created man in his image after his likeness. Those are parallel expressions. They're not referring to two different things, but describing how, how God is creating man in his image after his likeness. In verse 27 where it says uh, male and female uh, that he created them male and female means that mankind is made up of male and female. We find that also awesome in Genesis 5 verse 2. He made them male and female and named them man. So man here uh, refers to mankind to male and female and keep that in mind for the rest of the sermon, Uh, that mankind is made of male and female, and both male and female, therefore, are made in the image of God. Notice that God did not make part of man in his image, but he made man in his image. Contrary to what some might say, the image of God is not the soul or the mind or any other part of man, but man was made in the image of God. It doesn't say that the soul was created in God's image. Man is made in God's image and therefore is God's image on earth. Mankind is the image of God. And this means two things. If you don't remember anything else, I think this is a good way to uh, remember this briefly. Uh, two different words to describe what it means to be, man- to be created in the image of God. The man represents God and resembles God. Represent and resemble. Um, and I'm going to expand on those two things here in a second as separate points. But uh, mankind is the image of God. That means he represents God and was made to resemble God. Made in the resemblance of God in the earth. If you look at Genesis 5, which we just read earlier, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, we have a little explanation, a little um, context to help us what the image of God refers to, or a nice analogy. It connects the image and sonship. God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. And then in verse 3, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. Um, His son was made in his image, in his likeness, like-producing like. like. The son resembles his father and represents his father. Especially in an ancient household, the son would represent his father, would be about his father's business, would bear his father's authority, uh, of course, under his father. Likewise, Adam was created as a son of God. Uh, In Luke's genealogy of Christ, where it traces it backwards, uh, he goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God. He was created to be a son of God, to resemble God and to rule God's earthly household on his behalf. God is therefore our father, the father of all in one sense, as Paul said to the Athenians, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. That is what we were made to be, to be his children. The doctrine of the image of God then um, tells us who you are and what you're called to do. It, it, it tells you who you are and what you are to do. If you learn that a rock is a statue, you know what the rock is. It's a statue. And you also know what the rock is supposed to do. It's supposed to to represent and resemble uh, the one that it's a statue of. Likewise, when you learn that man is made in the image of God, you learn what man is, the image of God, and you know what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to represent him and supposed to resemble him in the earth. That is his calling. So mankind is the image of God. Let's break that down a little bit further now. Mankind represents God. That is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. Man is God's representative on the earth. Uh, we like to use the term vice-regent. Of course, I've never heard that term in any other discussion besides this one, but it means you know a ruler underneath or, or as a representative of the reigning king. Man is God's representative On the earth, the status as the image of God gives man special dignity and value. By making man with this status, God has crowned him with glory and honor and has set him above the work of his hands, as Psalm 8 uh, poetically describes. I've already mentioned the connection of image and sonship. Uh, There's two other analogies that would have probably come to mind in the first readers of this book. First, in the ancient world, many kings regarded themselves as the image of God, uh, as those who represented God and ruled for him. Of course, here, though, it's said not only of the king, but of mankind. Second, kings often made images of themselves to symbolize their authority throughout the kingdom. In fact, they still do this. Look on a coin. Whose resemblance is there? Um, Images were used to represent one's authority. As one commentator has put it, just as powerful earthly kings to indicate their claim to dominion erect an image of themselves in the provinces of their empire where they do not personally appear, so man is placed upon earth in God's image as God's sovereign emblem. So just as a king or a ruler might set up statues and flags and images on coins to assert his reign, so God has set up man as the symbol of his royal authority on earth. And consequently, just as a king would take an attack on the images personally, so to mistreat man is to attack God. We'll come to this later in Genesis 9. But in Genesis 9-6, God uh, points out that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. That is the reason why uh, murder is so wrong, why it would need to be uh, vindicated. Why is it? Because God made man in his own image. That gave man uh, this value and this uh, dignity, uh, that God uh, takes it uh, personally when his image is attacked. We find other exhortations in Scripture using similar logic. In Proverbs fourteen thirty one: Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Uh, that uh, he takes an uh, interest in how one uh, treats those made in his image. Or in the New Testament, in James chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, speaking of how we use words, how we use the tongue. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. If we honor God, we should honor also those Made in his likeness. And so, since man is God's representative, he ought to be respected and his life ought to be protected. Humans are owed a basic respect due to being made in the image of God, a respect which includes all lawful endeavors to preserve human life. In Genesis 9, God explains that murder is wrong, like we've said, because it unjustly takes the life of one who bears God's image. Biblical ethic provides a reason to value all humans, grounding their right to life not on their level of intelligence, on their physical abilities, on their racial identity, or their usefulness to society, but as beings made in the image of God. I think I talked about last week, right? About the, the ethicist who is trying to equalize uh, people and, and animals and using a utilitarian ethic to try to make choices. Well, here, the Bible provides us with uh, a reason to value all human, all human life because we are made in the image of God. So contrary to this teaching is the practice of racism, for example. You know, animosity, contempt, injustice on the basis of race, for all people groups are descended from Adam, made in the image of God. This teaching also forbids abortion, contempt for the life of the unborn, because a person's right to life depends not on independence or mental capacity, but his or her identity as a human, as made in the image of God. And that begins at conception. In fact, Genesis 5, verses 1 through 3 explains how this identity is conveyed from generation to generation. You know, God made man in his image. Did that stop with Adam and Eve? No. He fathered a son after his image. That nature was passed along to the next generation as he fathered him. So from conception, to be human uh, is to be in the image of God. It's not imputed to them at some point in their life. Humans have the image of God by being produced from other images of God. Mankind, like the rest of creation, produces according to its kind. We could think of probably many other applications of this point, how we are to respect, honor, preserve uh, those who are made in the image of God. So uh, this is one grounds for the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not kill. You are called to avoid murderous thoughts reviling words, murderous acts, even situations that needlessly endanger yourself or others, to use kind and courteous speech to your fellow man and to promote peace, to defend and support human life by providing for you and your household, by providing charity for others, by caring for your health, for self-defense, supporting the state's administration of public justice as it seeks to vindicate the dignity of God's image. Since, and finally, as another point of application on this point, since you represent God, you ought to resemble Him. It's going to bleed right into our next point, right? We represent Him, we also resemble Him, and you ought to resemble Him since you represent Him. If you're going to be His uh, representative, His ambassador, you better uh, portray Him accurately. You ought not to misrepresent Him, but reflect His nature in the earth, doing all things to His glory. And so that leads us to the next point. Mankind resembles God. Or at least he was created in the resemblance of God. Man resembled God to display his glory on the earth. And in particular, we're made to resemble him in knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and dominion. I'm not saying that necessarily. Is comprehensive in every way we resemble God, but those are useful terms that the Bible gives us to explain our resemblance to God knowledge, righteousness, holiness, and dominion. Mankind was created both with the ability to resemble God and an actual resemblance to God. God didn't make us in a neutral position where we were neither righteous nor wicked and we'd choose our own way. We were made positively righteous. And it's the faults of men that we chose otherwise. But he was made as a rational being with true knowledge. He was made as a moral being with true righteousness. He was made as a religious being with true holiness. He was made as a productive being with true and good dominion. So we had both the capability and the actual resemblance to be like God. Man was given dominion, for example, Dominion is the obvious resemblance emphasized in Genesis 1 itself. What has God been doing? What do we know about God by chapter, by verse 26? We know that he has dominion overall, that he has been one who has worked, who has been forming and filling and bringing into existence. He's exercising power by his word, working on each day. Now he creates a being who will also have dominion over his creation and work the earth. So dominion, uh, summarized as rule and work, uh, that is one way we resemble God. As we see God working, and then of course he'll rest on the seventh day too, uh, we imitate that. We are sub creators uh, who image our God in our work. Uh, we do work, which we usually call culture, you know, things created by man in art or science or other fields of human endeavor. That we imitate our creators. We take dominion as we exercise dominion. And we do this on his behalf, as his children. And that's who we are. We are uh, those who work. Of course, our work and dominions corrupted in various ways by sin, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but one way that the image of God comes to expression is through the exercise of dominion in rule and in work. Another area we resemble God is in knowledge. Man was made as a rational being with true knowledge. This aspect is pointed out in uh, Colossians, where Paul describes our renewal according to God's image. That's one way that we can look back then at what was that image to begin with when we're renewed in a certain way in God's image. We have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, Think also of how in Proverbs, wisdom and knowledge is described not only as something that you ought to exercise, but something that was even active in the work of creation. That God had wisdom and knowledge, and that's displayed in all creation, and you also ought to have wisdom and knowledge. And so, with this knowledge, you can communicate with one another, reason about, and investigate this world. You can learn about the creation, you can learn about God. With this knowledge, man can exercise dominion in wisdom in a way similar to God. He didn't just exercise power, but he did it with wisdom. And while man's, limited, while man's knowledge is limited, it's made sufficiently like God's that we can communicate with God, and God can communicate with us. There's not an uh, uncrossable chasm between us and God, but he can uh, speak our language and communicate the truth to us. We also resemble God in righteousness and holiness. Man was made as a moral being with true righteousness and a religious being with true holiness. We find these two traits in Ephesians 4, where Paul says that we are to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, similar argument here. From the way we're renewed in God's image, we learn what it was to begin with. True righteousness is conformity to the moral perfection of God. He is our model, the original. His nature is righteous. And his moral law is not an arbitrary expression of whims, the way he felt that day. But it's a definition of what it looks like man to reflect his righteous character. Unlike the pagan god, gods, uh, think of the gods of, of the Canaanites or the gods of the Greeks and Romans, they were like men, but, but bigger, uh, with all the human vices that you can imagine. They were gods in man's image, fallen man's image. But God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. That is the true God. He is faithful, he is just, and his children ought to be so as well. True holiness means total consecration to God and separation from the defilement of sin. You shall be holy for the Lord your God is holy. Old Testament and New Testament both say that. God is the original. He is set apart. He is undefiled. He is pure. He is completely good. He is inclined to all moral purity and recoils from all impurity of sin. He is holy, holy, holy. Mankind reflects God's holiness as uh, we are totally consecrated to God when we conform our will to love and reject what he loves and rejects, demonstrating its, uh, our devotion to him in worship and in service. This is what holiness looks like then for mankind. So we resemble God in dominion and knowledge and righteousness and holiness The question might arise, does the body resemble God? After all, I said man was made in God's image. Well, man resembles God in certain ways, but man does not physically resemble God, since God's invisible. He doesn't have a body. Uh, And so, no, we don't physically resemble God. Now, Jesus has a body now, but that's because he has a human body. All right, well, don't get things too confused, you get the cart in front of the horse, right? Uh, Jesus is man now, but he wasn't at this time. Uh, He did not have a body at that time, and he has a body for our sake, for our salvation. Um, His divine nature still is spiritual and infinite without um, itself having a divine physical body. God is invisible. He is spirit. Uh, Scripture teaches that, 1 Timothy 1, John 4. But... So our bodies do not physically represent God or resemble God. They do represent him, but bodies do not resemble him physically, but our bodies do express these resemblances as instruments of dominion and knowledge and righteousness and holiness. We use our bodies to communicate and apply knowledge. How, how, do you learn, how, how are you hearing me right now? <laughs> I'm using my body. You're using your body to hear this knowledge. How do you exercise righteousness and holiness? How do you take dominion? You use your bodies. So our bodies express these resemblances to God, just not physically. We don't look like him. The whole man is the image of God, and the whole man ought to obey him and conform itself to his example. And it's because of the body that we can be visible images of the invisible God. As one commentator said, the Bible makes man a unity. This living creature then, and not some distillation from him, is an expression or transcription of the eternal, incorporeal creator in terms of a temporal, bodily, creaturely existence. One might, uh, as one might attempt a transcription of, say, an epic into a sculpture or a symphony into a sonnet. Uh, we have the invisible, uh, infinite God yet resembled uh, in, in man uh, transcribed into this uh, very different uh, nature. So that man is made in the image of God doesn't mean that everything true about man is true of God. You can't say, well, since we have a body, therefore God has a body. Or since we are male and female, God must be male and female. Or since we are creatures, God must be a creature. No, that's not the way to argue, right? You can see the error in that. We are made in his image. He is not made in our image. Unlike God, we're physical, visible, finite. God, though, is invisible, a pure spirit, infinite, eternal. But despite these differences, man is a visible likeness of the invisible God, manifesting his character and glory with our whole being. And the differences make this similarity all the more remarkable Who are we to be children of God? Who are we to talk to God? Who are we to imitate his work and dominion and to have charge of the work of his hands? And yet God created man in his image after his likeness, crowning him with glory and honor, setting him above the work of his hands. That is a great honor indeed. So have some humility at the honor that's been bestowed upon you. responsibly use your God-given faculties to resemble him. You have a mind. Use it to resemble God. You have uh, your strength and your soul and your heart. You have knowledge. You you, you can uh, exercise your will. You are created as a marvelous being. Use these faculties to resemble God. Know also that God is not holy other in a distant, unknowable sense. He's made you as his image and made you for himself. Mankind was made capable of knowing God. So seek after him, for you are made for him and to serve under him. And then finally, be humbled at how you have failed to resemble God and your ill use of all that God has given you. As Ecclesiastes 7 says, See, this alone I have found, that God made man upright but they have sought out many schemes. And that brings us to my fourth and final point. Sin distorts the image of God and uh, in such a way that it needs restoration. So if you're going to remember represent and resemble, remember also restoration. Now there's kind of two points in this. First of all, we need restoration, but also even with sin, we are still made in the image of God. Humanity still has some dignity as God's image and ought to be respected as such. Even in Genesis 9, after the fall, God uh, says it's wrong to murder people because they are made in the image of God. But man has marred the image and he acts contrary to it. And so, in one sense, man no longer resembles God. The doctrine of the image of God, I have told you, shows us what we are and what we are called to do. If you learn that a rock is a statue, you know what it is and what it's supposed to do. If it gets defaced, it's still a statue, but it doesn't fulfill its purpose well. It doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like, and it's in need of restoration. So man remains a rational creature, a a moral being, a religious being, a productive being, but his thinking is blind to God. And futile, his righteousness is filthy rags, his religion is idolatrous, and his dominion is ultimately vain and often cruel. Man has false knowledge, false righteousness, false holiness. Fallen man is a glorious ruin, a defaced image of God. So humans are still to be respected, their life is still to be protected, but is But their worth only makes their depravity all the worse and all the more tragic that such a being has rebelled against God. Man is still God's image, but he is an image of God that has had the devil's likeness imprinted on it. So thanks be to God that he sent Jesus Christ to save his people, that they might put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. As the early church father, Athanasius, said, for as when a figure painted on wood has been soiled by dirt from the outside, it's necessary for him whose figure it is to come again so that the image can be renewed on the same material. Because of his portrait, even the material on which it is painted is not cast aside, but the portrait is reinscribed on it. So likewise, we are like the portrait. We have been defiled and soiled and doesn't look like God much anymore. But God doesn't throw away the image, he reinscribes his likeness upon it, as he restores man through Jesus Christ. And that's what Colossians and Ephesians talk about. How Jesus restores the image of God by the work of his spirit, having crucified the old man on the cross, rising again that we might walk in new life. Those who follow him are being renewed in the image of God. In every respect, the image of God is being re-graven upon your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. And so let this truth bring you to greater zeal for evangelism, the lost, are precious they are valuable they ought to be respected and therefore to be brought the saving gospel for the salvation of their souls and for the glory of God that his image might be reclaimed that they might be restored to their ancient glory uh, through the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ this also should be more reason for for you to respond to the gospel and to hold fast to this hope of salvation because it's only in Jesus Christ that we might fulfill our created purpose, that we might be restored to the image we were made in, that he is our only hope of restoration. Apart from him, there is only a descent into disgrace and depravity and damnation. And finally, life as those being renewed after the image of your creator is the life that you ought to be living now. Put off your old manner of life. That belonged to the old ways. Uh, the old manner of life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Put on the ways of the new self. Be imitators of God. You were children of God. You walked away like the prodigal son, forsaking your inheritance. But now, through Jesus Christ, you are again being adopted as His children to resemble Him, to be born again by Him, that you might now uh, be holy as your God is holy, to be merciful as your God is, your Father is merciful, to seek true knowledge, true righteousness, true holiness, true dominion under God. That is the life that you live now. And it is your vision for what it means to be uh, truly human. We are being restored by our Savior, Jesus Christ. In conclusion, let me bring in one more text from Matthew 22. People asked Jesus a question about taxes, and he made the answer uh, about, about something much bigger. Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this, pointing to the coin? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Caesar had a claim on the money for the temporal benefits he had provided to the empire, having stamped the symbol of his authority on the coins. But God made man himself in his image and therefore had a total claim to man himself and to all the world. So give to God what is his. Give yourself body and soul to God, for you yourself are a symbol of his dominion. Live as his representatives endowed with the dignity and honor now to resemble him in the earth hold fast to jesus christ who is the head of a new humanity and walk after him he is restoring the ancient glory of man recalling him to his purpose under god to save him from his doom that the glory of god might cover the earth as the waters cover the sea to him be glory and dominion now and forever amen let us pray Dear God, we thank you for your grace and generosity that you have shown to us, first in the beginning, by giving us this glory and honor, making us after your image, endowing us with great gifts, and making us uh, as those who resembled you, who were righteous and who were good in every way. We are ashamed at the ways which we have uh, despised your gifts and have defiled your image, and have walked in the ways of the evil one instead. We pray that through Jesus Christ, you would more and more restore us to your likeness, that we might represent you in this earth, that we might fulfill our purpose in this way, and that through Jesus Christ, we might uh, be completely restored and dwell with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.